0: Can niche podcasters get long-term sponsorships? Glenn Hebert says they can, and he's got the track record to prove it. My name is Kerry Green, and I am the Client Happiness Guy at PodcastFastTrack.com, and this is Podcastification. Podcastification is all about you, teaching you how to podcast how to put into practice the best practices that I and my team have learned in working with hundreds of clients. You are going to podcast better from listening to this show. If you like what you hear on podcastification, please just hit the pause button, swipe to the sharing function on your app and share this episode with somebody you know will benefit. And if you'd like to get in on more Podcastification goodness. You can do it by subscribing to our Podcast Optimizer email series, and I promise you, you won't get lots of junk. You'll just get one actionable email a week. Go to podcastfasttrack.com slash optimizer. That is enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. All right, Glenn, you're also known as Glenn the Geek. Tell me where that came from,
1: first of all. I was the geekiest one in the horse space. Uh, We we had a store, a tack shop, retail business, and we were one of the first online. In the old days, when people used to send checks to buy stuff, yeah, you couldn't pay online back in those days. So they used to send us checks, and then uh, we were also one of the first to sell
0: horse supplies on eBay way back when. So you got into the tech side, and people started saying, "Uh, Glenn's the geeky one. Talk to him about that. Right, Exactly. Okay. Well, Glenn, uh, I have heard about you from Dave Jackson thousands of times, I think. And if listeners, if you're not subscribed to School of Podcasting, you need to go over there and do that right now. Dave's always dropping great value for podcasters. But anyway, Glenn's story is one that I think many of us aspire to, and it's not without a lot of hard work. So what I want to start with Glenn is if you could kind of summarize for us where you've arrived to at this point in your life in terms of how the podcast supports your life, To what degree, what sort of organizations and events have spun out of that and all that sort of stuff. Just give us a quick summary of where you're at.
1: I have the Horse Radio Network, which is uh, the oldest podcast network for horses. We're the only podcast network for horses, actually. I did my first show in 2006, but the network started in 2008, and we are at over 11,000 episodes now. Over that period of time, I also host two of the shows. I host one show that is one of the top five longest running daily podcasts in the world, and that's called Horses in the Morning. We've been five days a week for ninety minutes a day for ten plus years now, twenty six hundred episodes. Hmm. So best we can figure from talking to people, that's in the top five of the longest running daily podcasts. That and we have never missed. You know, we have sponsors, so we we can't miss, right? So we're yeah, we're always producing and you can't just say "I'm not going to work today because you have an obligation to work today." yeah you know we have 20 different shows on the network now, some we own, some are owned by other people that are on the network with ad split arrangements and things like that and then some that where we pay the hosts and, and we sell the ads. so it's a variety of different arrangements that we have. We have a production company that helps us with production. Flintstone Media does that and otherwise it's my wife and I. Who are full time. We've been full time for eight, nine years now. We are solely sponsorships. It's a little different in our space because we're a micro niche, right? The niche is horses, and then there's micro niches under that, that that we have shows about. We have a very unique thing, with maybe a couple of exceptions, in that well, our listeners are truly addicted to what they do and they spend all their money and all their time and all they think about is horses. That's just their life. Mm-hmm. We have the one group that actually wants to hear commercials. Right. Because they like to learn about products. So, you know, we're lucky to be in a niche that is a group of very addicted people.
0: So, given that you're doing sponsorships only, I'm sure there's a lot of learning lessons that you've had in that journey of getting sponsorships kind of nailed down and working for you. But let's step back a step from that. And can you give me an overview of how much revenue you don't have to give exact figures, but how much revenue are you seeing on an annual basis for your network as a whole?
1: Well, we don't usually talk about the exact numbers, but I can tell you that actually when I was in sales and financial sales, I was making more than I'm making now, but I'm happier now. So, oh, yeah. you know, so we're well, well, well into five figures. And, you know, in our niche, we probably never get the
0: six figures. I don't see us ever doing that. Yeah, but five figures when you are doing what you love is a great living.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, of course there's expenses and everything, and we, we do pay our hosts and that kind of thing. But it is something that you know I enjoy doing. We enjoy getting up. To it. We have a lot of freedom, and I never was good at working for other people. Just didn't failed at that miserably because I tend to say what I think, and most bosses don't like that. So yeah, I, I you know when I was in financial sales, I was definitely making more money, but I burned out. You know, I just had to leave that because I was just burned out. This is probably the longest I've done any one gig in my lifetime.
0: Yeah. And I think you brought up something very important for listeners to key in on if they're thinking about podcasts as a way to support a life. Lifestyle is as important as the money. Because like you illustrated, if you're doing something that's making a lot of money, but you're getting burned out, that's not good for you in the long run. So talk to us a little bit about some of the benefits you've seen in that regard. You mentioned the freedom. What else would you add to that list?
1: obviously working at home. So, you know, when COVID came, nothing changed for us, except, you know, we got got our groceries delivered, you know, but nothing really <laughs> changed for us. And we couldn't go to shows anymore. Part of what we do is we do go out to shows and do live at shows and we do different events and things like that. So that was sad. We couldn't do listener meetups or anything like that over the last year. But, you know, the freedom, I think, is that you choose which hundred hours a week you want to work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. All right, Glenn, we'll take us back to the beginning. You mentioned 2006. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we we were experimenting with a podcast back in 2006 about horses. And then that kind of went away because that was in the day you had to listen on your computer pretty much. Yeah. And no horse people could figure out that technology. We always joke that horse people tend to be two years behind technologically. Now, they've kind of caught up now, but it always was about two years behind. So even when we started the network and really started doing shows full time in 2008, you had to download to your computer and then to your iPod. (laughs) So it was still a chore. And teaching horse people how to do that was always a problem. And I always wanted to get to the point when the world caught up to podcasting, which we were just all of us old timers were hoping that would eventually happen. It took longer than we had hoped, by the way, you know, until Serial came along and really started making podcasts mainstream. We were all just sitting around going, this is going to take off someday. And, you know, now that it finally has, I always wanted to be number one in our space, which we are, but we waited a long time to get there. Fortunately, we had the support of, you know, the advertisers and the community in our community, the horse world to get us there. They believed in us, you know, even when our numbers weren't big, we had sponsors because they believed that we would be someday. I'm sure some of them hoped that podcasting would become a thing much sooner too. I was asked this recently, and I just thought about this. One of the biggest mistakes I made at the beginning, and this is a good lesson, is we relied totally on sponsorships because back then, we were all figuring this out. We were, we were the ones starting this whole thing, right? Independent podcasting. So we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> I'm not sure all of us still know what we're doing. But sponsorships was the thing because that's what radio did. So that's what we did. And that's a mistake I made. We should have had other revenue sources that we did along with this. I don't know what those would have been, by the way. We didn't want to do retail again. We sold our retail company. So I did not want to go into shipping boxes, you know. So I don't know what that was, but that was something that we should have pursued and done along with it that we wouldn't now totally be relying on sponsorships, which is a, you know, I do all the ad selling. That takes a lot of time.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I want to get into the other options that could have existed in a bit. But first, I want you to walk us through the journey into sponsorships. Where were you at in your publication history when you started entertaining that notion? And how did that first come about? And what were some of the, the hurdles that you, you met at the beginning? I was lucky because I was in retail for years.
1: And I was a consultant in retail for some of the largest retailers for years. So when we got into this, I knew a lot of companies already. So really, we were six months in with 12 listeners. And by the way, this is a, only because we're in our space. This doesn't happen. And they knew me.
0: I sold me. Let's pause for a minute. Let's highlight that. <laughs> People need to understand Glenn had an in in his industry, which kind of accelerated the whole process. So they knew who I was, right? Yeah. If they don't know that you're going to have a tougher time, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. So go ahead, Glenn that is so true it is so
1: true and sales today is still built on relationships that i built for the last 12 years you know a company that might have seen us 12 years ago and is just now advertising for the first time so you know you, you have that too i mean so i approached a company that i knew i knew the, i knew the woman that ran it and i said look we got like 12 listeners and this is going to be a thing someday and she believed in me and podcasting mm. and She started with us back then for like $50 an ad, and she, by the way, is still our largest sponsor, sponsors four of our shows. To this day, 12 years later, she's still our largest sponsor. Wow. And because she believed that eventually it was going to become a thing and she stuck with it and she su- and she's got a lot of customers, you know, she's seen results from it too. You know, that's the other thing. They're not going to hang around if they're not seeing any results. So she has seen the results because she talks to people that call her every day They say, I listen to the show and, you know, I have this question. So that's how it first started. And once you get one sponsor, it's always easier to get the second one. That's, that's the other rule. So we started getting sponsors early on. By the fourth year, we were able to go full time. Not making a ton of money, but, you know, making money uh, full-time. But I was able to. I think it was in about the sixth year that my wife joined. She quit her other job and she joined. So that's about where we were. Unless you have a following to begin with and have something already going, you're not going to be full-time doing this for years. You're not, especially in today's market and with the competition today. We didn't have competition back then. You know, we were the only horse podcast. So it's a little different today than it was back then. But and right now we have a retention rate. And this is so important to know. We have a retention rate of 70 percent over five years. That means 70 percent of our sponsors have been with us for longer than five years. These aren't three month. Six month things. We're developing relationships, uh, helping them build their businesses, so that they stick around. The less I have to sell new ones, the happier I am because yeah, the old yeah. ones are hanging around, and that just pays the bills, right? And then you're always looking for the new ones to fill in the gaps. But that's a key component: is building relationships and really getting your sponsors involved in your show. We get them involved, actually on our show in many cases. They either provide content or we find different ways to get them involved. So they feel like they are part of the show. And then they feel like they have ownership in the show. So they hang around because ego then gets involved. Mm -hmm. Sponsors are human. Well, with the one exception, if they're an ad agency, they may not be. But (laughs) if you're dealing directly with the company, they're human and they like to have that personal interaction and feel because they don't get that with the magazine that where they've been advertising for years. They don't get that there. So they get it with you. Cause it's a different medium. And it's a medium that allows you to develop relationships.
0: And when someone's doing this in a niche, and in your case, a niche within a niche in some of your shows' cases, what are the advantages that come from that? I feel like it's an advantage over just being a broad general show when it comes to sponsorships.
1: Oh, it's definitely an advantage because I can target companies that are in that niche and they're looking for my listeners. So if I have a show that has 500 downloads an episode, those 500 people are the exact ones that that person that makes the product for that group wants. So if they go to a magazine that's a general horse magazine, they may hit the people in that niche. They may not, but they're going to spend thousands of dollars to do that every month. Whereas they come to me, they know they're going to spend less money than that but they're going to target that 500 people that are in that niche that they want to reach. We did a survey with our listeners and we had about 400 respondents. And what we found was 90% of them said that they have bought a product we recommended on a show within the last year. 90%. 30% said they bought a product as a result of a magazine ad. We dug deeper. And the reason was people come to a podcast for the content And they stay for the host. They like you. They're not hanging around if they don't like you, right? They're not listening to your show if they don't like you. They can get this content in a lot of different places. They stay because they like you. So that's true here. And what that means is you become their friend. So you've never met them. They've never met you. But they feel like you're their friend and you're telling them to go out and buy a product. So it has to be a product when we vet our products. So we're never recommending something that we don't believe in or we don't know works because we actually have them send it products and we test them and we turn them down if they don't because we wouldn't be 12 years in and have the credibility we do and be able to say, go out and buy this product as a host and have 90% of them go do it without having that credibility. So that's so important.
0: Wow. And that's powerful for bringing on new potential advertisers because you've got that metric from your own audience to prove to them.
1: Yeah. We're also in an industry that's old school, right? So it's very old school. And in some cases, these companies have been advertising in magazines for the last 50 years. That's what they know how to do. They spend thousands of dollars a month doing it. They don't know if they get any results. Yet they come to us and they want to know exactly what results they're getting. And then I point out, you know, you've been doing this magazine for 20 years. Do you know that anybody ever looked at your page? You know, and unless they did a coupon code where maybe they got some results, right? Yeah. Most of the time, they have no idea if anybody looked at the page, but they just think they did because that's what they've done. So you do have to overcome that. That's what I've always done. Now, that's been much harder up to the last two years where podcasting's become a thing. Now it's becoming easier. Now we do have companies contacting us saying, We're looking at doing podcasting. I did a search and you came up. That's only been the last couple of years.
0: Interesting. What are you doing in terms of the technical side of things to track attribution, to show your advertisers this many people clicked on the link? We don't go to your product. You don't. No,
1: we don't. And I tell them that. I said, we're not, we don't have a way to do that. They all want to know about banner ads. And I say, forget banner ads. I'll put them on the website. Nobody goes to our website. They go there once, maybe if they find it through Google search. But most of the time they're searching on their podcast player. They find it there. They never go to your website. (laughs) Think about how many podcasts you listen to. How many of those websites have you gone to?
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point.
1: Think about it as a listener all the time. You have to do that when you're talking to sponsors too. You have to think about it as a listener in relationship to the sponsor.
0: Oh, what a good point.
1: I did. I never answered your question. The way we track it is with results, right? They see results. They get an increase in orders that they can't attribute to anybody else. And our listeners tend to be more vocal about where they heard about stuff. Mm. So they may put it in the Mm. shopping cart. They may call the company. They may do whatever. We had one of our listeners that just developed a product. It's a very specific niche product. And she came on our show once because she's a listener. So we had her on to talk about it. No charge. It was just free. And she said, we've been the number one source of selling her product from that one interview. Wow. So results are what speaks. You know, I had one a couple of weeks ago. It's another thing we'll do. We will have a company on once and have them talk about their product. And then they see results and they come on and advertise. You know, we do that as well. So, And I had one a couple of weeks ago. She said, I saw such a big jump after that interview. That's what they see. I don't promise them anything. I underpromise under-promise, over-deliver. That's the old sales thing from years ago, right? So under-promise and over-deliver. And way we overdeliver is we know our listeners are going to respond. As long as we do a good job at making it enticing. And there are products that we know that are bigger products, let's say a horse trailer, that you know, they're not going to sell a thousand of them in a year. People buy a horse trailer once in a lifetime. So they know that they have to be in listeners' ears the day they decide to buy a horse trailer. Because guess what? If they stopped advertising three months ago, it's out of their mind. They're buying a different horse trailer. But if it's been in their ear for the last 10 years, and then last week they heard about that brand of horse trailer, and today they decide they're buying a horse trailer, they're going to that dealership. Yeah. So, but they have to be there. And that's how I sell it. You always have to be there when they want to buy your product. If you're not in their ear, then I don't care what you did before.
0: Yeah, and it seems like that's especially true for a high-ticket item like a horse trailer. Especially true. Yeah,
1: But it's also true for a pair of breeches that are $40. Or for a bridle that's $50. If they haven't heard your ad for six months because you didn't stick with advertising, then they're going to buy a different one. If you were in their ear last week, they're going to go at least look at that one. You know, you got a shot. If you weren't in their ear last week, whatever was in their ear last week is what they're going to go look at. That's the way people are. And that's the reason we've been able to keep our sponsors for so long is we tell them that. We don't let them advertise for anything less than six months. They they have to start at six months because we know once we get them for six months, we've got them. And the other thing we do is in our contracts, and a lot of people don't do this, and I don't know why because they're scared. We put it in the contract that they have to do six months. So even if they stop advertising, they have to pay the bill. So they got six months there. And then it's a 30-day automatic renew. We never do a second contract. It's 30-day automatic renew forever. And, you know, occasionally we raise the rates, right? We have to do that. And we, we have the right to do that. And by that time, they get so much results, I expect us to raise the rates.
0: Oh, yeah. That's all just fascinating. So, so when you do an advertisement, let's just pick a horse trailer brand, for example. Are you doing these as host read ads or are you doing a pre-recorded sort of an ad? We do everything,
1: especially with our daily show because we have to mix it up. We have the, the same advertisers are going to be on each week. So we try and mix it up. So we'll do pre-recorded, sometimes that they do. We do host red or we just discuss it. You know, if we're using the product, it's easy for us to just have a conversation, then it becomes part of the show. And then the other thing we do is we get them on to do educational segments. So like for a horse trailer brand, they come on and talk about, okay, you know, we're after winter, what do you have to do to prep your trailer for the season, mid-season, you know, what do you have to do? Check the brakes, you, you know, the bearings and all of that stuff, trailer safety tips, things like that. We get them on to do that with us and that becomes their commercial so we we do a combination of all those things. I believe if they're doing a weekly show, especially, and you have the same advertiser every week, you've got to mix it up for the listener benefit. You can't have them doing educational segments every week. It's too much. You can't do pre-recorded ads every week. It's too much. But when you mix it up, then it becomes just right
0: for the listener. Again, thinking about it as a listener. Yeah, of course. You definitely want to keep the listener in mind. So That leads me to this question. I assume you guys have a a system worked out where you have a rotation of types of ads for each show and what cycle those go in. Um, How long did it take you to figure out that that was needed? And second part to the question, how long did it take you to figure out what was needed? Well, you figure it out after you screw it
1: up the first time, and then you figure (laughs) out you need something. So that was a long time ago. Um, We do Google Sites. and A lot of people aren't familiar with Google Sites, but it's basically a website we do for each show so all all 11,000 episodes are in a google site someplace and that's what we call our production notes hosts have access to that producers have access to that editors have access to that everybody involved in our process has access to those sites and we have a separate site for each show and then a separate page on the site like a separate web page on each site for every episode of every show so we can go in there and search a guest name and it'll bring up the production notes for that show they also then use those production notes to go build the website show notes page and the show notes that you know go out onto the players that's all using that website to build it so we're all tracking the same information we have the guest information in there we have everything in there in addition we also track the advertisers in there so in those production notes it says okay, you know a lot of the hosts we never even talk to they know they have to do a Bates ad and here's the script or a Bates ad and it's pre-recorded they know that because the producers fill that in and we do it a little different too in that on the shows we own we actually have producers sit in like a radio does and record the show and guide the hosts through okay you got to do this commercial we do this next we do this interview we do this they make sure they don't miss anything and then that same producer in most cases will edit the show wow so it's a whole production but everything has to be the same for every show we do so if you do multiple shows having your systems the same is so important you'll drive yourself insane
0: yeah systems have saved my sanity so many times in in various parts of business but so many podcast. people don't do systems You
1: can get away with no system with one show. Once you get to second show, then a
0: system becomes important. And what I've discovered is even if you do only have one show, if you can create a system that streamlines it and make sure you don't miss things, all the better.
1: Well, it's going to save you time in the long run time is our biggest enemy as a podcaster first of all you have a real job most of us right most people have a real job they have a family they're doing this and the wife's bitching or the husband's bitching because it's taking too much time to begin with and then if you don't streamline it you're taking more time away from them which just exasperates the problem at home and it just becomes a nightmare and then you stop doing your show so the more you can streamline it and make it efficient the better off your family is going to be, and the longer you're going to do your show.
0: Well, Glenn, I so appreciate that. Now, I I want to talk to you about what you've alluded to already, that you feel like doing only sponsorships was a mistake. Yes. You should have built in some other forms of revenue. As you imagine what that might've been, what might it have been? I'm, I'm real curious what you I don't about. know.
1: I still don't know, which <laughs> I haven't done it. You know, in our space, I don't know. We could have gone to selling product, but again, I was, kind of didn't want to, right? That was just a decision that we made. We could have been selling product. We probably could have had a, a retail operation in conjunction with this, but we had sold our retail operation because we were tired of packing boxes at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we didn't want to do that anymore. We wanted to have what we thought was a little bit easier life it is easier doing what we're doing. I know we're still putting in the hours, but it's, it's easier. So I, I don't know what that is. You know, and I've been told a hundred times through the years that I should have gotten into writing books about podcasting and doing all of that before everybody and their uncle was doing it now. And I probably had a window of opportunity where I could have done that. But again, it's just not something that I can't write. I talk for a living. I'm a terrible writer. I can't spell anything. They don't even let me do any of the show notes. So, you know, I, there's a reason I do what I do. I'm good sales and I'm good at talking. So I didn't, they didn't have an interest in that. So there's courses we could have built all that stuff, but it wasn't where I wanted to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever considered doing like a horse radio network membership? We do have
1: that. We have Patreon. Yeah, we did that years ago when Patreon first started. We have about 550 in there, and that is an active group. That is a loyal, active group. They, they have their own Facebook page, uh, and it's the most active Facebook page, most positive place you'll ever be, too, because I think we set the example there. And they have about 50 subpages that are Horse Radio Network subpages, anything from quilting to dogs to cars to professional pages. I mean, that are all have all come out of that Patreon group. Yeah. So we take in several thousand dollars a month in Patreon. We do it a little bit differently in that we take half of that money and divide it amongst our hosts for our shows. Mm. So our hosts get part of that revenue every month in addition to what we give them. So they get a little bit of a raise and they know they're being supported by the listeners and the listeners know they're supporting the hosts directly. I think it's a win-win for everybody. And, you know, we're always building that Patreon and we're spending more time building that and more time getting them involved in different things, giving them more special things. So we do Facebook Lives with them. We do trivia nights with them. We do all different kinds of things with that core group. And then they also become a large 500-person focus group. So when I have a question about a show or what happened, I just post it on there and I get 150 answers. And, you know, so it it becomes the most wonderful focus group you're ever going to have.
0: Totally makes sense to me. And I would imagine having the the pot split between yourselves and, and the hosts kind of puts it top of mind for the host to be mentioning the Patreon as well.
1: It, it truly is a win-win. Plus, the hosts get a little bit of a raise every month and it doesn't come out of my pocket. <laughs> you, know, and I, I, you know, we laugh about that, but it's true when you're in business, you have to
0: think about all that stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, when you first mentioned that you paid your hosts, I was thinking to myself, whoa, how does that happen? But the Patreon thing makes it so much easier, I'm sure.
1: Yeah and, and we do pay them because we do get revenue right from the shows. Uh, you know it's not a lot. They're not making a ton of money. And a lot of our hosts do it because they want to be the influencer in their niche. Just like every other world right in their micro niche they are they are the influencer that or they want to be and they have become. You know they go to show, horse shows all the time and people are always stopping them. So that's what they get out of it more than money.
0: Yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. Now given that you've been dealing with sponsors within an industry where you are already known and you already had some pre-existing relationships, I still have to believe there have been some stumbles and hurdles and things like that you've come across in the advertising situations of of bringing on sponsors. Can you share with us some stories about mistakes you made, trying to land a a sponsorship deal, and it just went sideways, and, and what can we learn from that?
1: Well, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that w- the hurdle we've had is what is a podcast? You know, especially in our world, uh, it's been the biggest hurdle we've had all for 10 years. Last two years hasn't been so much of a problem, but I still talk to potential sponsors. I have no idea what a podcast is. Hmm. So I think I didn't do a good enough job of explaining that and what the benefits of that were along the way. I think we could have had double the number of sponsors if I had been better at that. Yet I I don't know what I would have changed. You know, I, I, I could see little things that I would have changed. You know, we got most of our sponsors by going to trade shows. You know, some knew me at the beginning, but then once I was through that group, we had to find the new people. And the way we found the new people was going to trade shows. So this is wholesalers meets retailers not open to the public. And we talked to the trade show and she, we said, Hey, look, we're going to do special product episodes at your show. If you'll have us come in and get a booth. So they would give us a booth and this has started 12 years ago. They'd give us a booth and we would come in and we would go around to the trade floor and say to every company there, do you have a new product? and want to talk about it for free on our show. We'd have them come over relationship building, right? Yeah. So now yeah. they're on our show. Now we give them the information about our show. We don't even approach them about sales at that point. Then when the show goes up live, I send them an email, start a conversation about then potential sales. It may be 12 trade shows later when they go, you know, I, I want to start trying to advertise now, but it was drip. We call it the drip effect. You drip, 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 yeah. drip, 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 drip. So we've been to, I think it's almost 30 trade shows now. So now when we go to trade shows, a lot of the people know us, and then there's new companies that don't know us, but we have the same approach. Do you have a new product you want to share on our show? We have the biggest podcast in the horse world. Do you want to talk about it for free on our show? And then they see a response from it. They either contact us or we're getting back to them. But that's how we'd build most of our relationships. Again, it's a relationship. And I got to tell you, meeting them in person... Is still better than not meeting them in person. Now, that's kind of been put on hold the last year, and we've seen it. We haven't gotten as many new sponsors in in this last year because we haven't been to those trade shows.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Glenn, but I'm getting more and more and more of these obviously templated emails saying, hey, I saw this post on your website and we write posts and such, you know, trying to build some sort of a cooperative relationship without relationship already existing. And it's just getting harder and harder to do. So, So podcasters listen to that. If you can get out and meet sponsors face-to-face, let them hear the sound of your voice. Let them understand what you're bringing that's of value. Let them see that you care about what they're doing.
1: But what we were doing was bringing them value first. They weren't bringing us value. Yeah, it was content, right? But we were bringing them value. We basically gave them a free ad for their new product. And we brought value to the listener because listeners love hearing about new products think about it. We're at the trade show where new products are being released. They're not even publicized yet. They haven't been released yet. And we're bringing it to the listeners. They're hearing about it first. Nobody else has heard about it before us. So it was a win-win-win for everybody. You have to bring value to that potential sponsor in some way for them to view you as a value, right? So it goes the whole way around. And then, then your final person on that contract is the listener. What value are you bringing the listener? If you're not bringing them value, then ultimately that sponsor is going to be gone in six months. They won't be around for 10 years. So there's a whole bunch of wheels in that. And you got to think about all those wheels. I had an advantage in that I taught sales for a lot of years in the financial world. So all we did was bring sales principles over here. And I owned an improv acting company for 10 years. That didn't hurt either. So I think that helps a lot. If you have experience in improv or in sales, it's going to help you succeed, especially if you want to get sponsors.
0: Oh, I love that. Man, there's so many nuggets right there in what you said. I think this piece of our conversation is just so helpful for anyone who's wanting to think about building sponsor relationships because relationships, the big word, it's something where they need to feel you've brought them enough value that they're willing to come and and see what value you can offer to them again and again, and they can come back and do the same.
1: You asked for a mistake. I have a mistake that came up today. So we found a couple of companies that really had products we liked, and we would do contests with them and things like that. Well, it got to the point where we were doing some educational pieces with them. We weren't charging them. And then I heard through the grapevine that they'll never advertise with you because they're getting it for free. So I stopped making that mistake. (laughs) One of those contacted me in the last day and said, 12 years now. We've been had a relationship with them. The last couple of years, we haven't done much with them because they weren't paying. And they've come back and said, now, I think we're ready to do some advertising because they stopped getting it for free. We will give somebody one or two shots for free to plug a product or whatever if we think it's going to be fun or valuable, and then they got to pay.
0: You're just also giving them a taste of what exposure through your your channel can also do for them. Right.
1: Correct. But you can't give them too much of that or they go, well, I I don't need to pay you. You're doing it anyway. It's a long game. This is a long game. Sales of any kinds a long game. It's not, you know, that's one thing that hasn't changed since I started sales 35 years ago, is it's always been a long game. If you develop a customer relationship and you sell them a small product, let's say a financial product or an insurance product or whatever, you sell them a small product to begin with, you want the bigger sales later, right? So it's a long game. You'll be with that customer for 20 years. And it's the same here. You know, it's a long game. If you're constantly hustling to find that new advertiser and your old ones aren't sticking around, you're going to be gone. You're not going to make it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: you got to have those old ones stick around. If you don't have that, then you're always chasing the new ones. You're never going to grow. You're always chasing tomorrow's dollar, whereas I have yesterday's dollar coming in so I can have the time and energy to chase tomorrow's dollar. So if you don't have that base to grow on that you constantly is going away on you, you're always chasing the next sale, the next sale, the next sale, the next sale to just get to the next day, paying the bills, yeah. you're you're not going to make it in the long term. And you're not going to be happy. I mean, you're just not going to be happy. It's Sales isn't easy. And if you're starting a podcast and you want to make money at it, and you're not good at sales, then you need to get somebody that is, or don't do the podcast. If you're doing it for fun, that's great. Uh, you know, fine. Then don't worry about it. But if you actually want to make some money doing it and you're not a salesperson, then you better damn well learn to be a salesperson or you better get somebody who is a salesperson because you're going to be doing 60% of my week is sales.
0: Or you better you know, skip the sponsorship route altogether and create best yes. products, services, whatever that can be an online sort of thing you don't have to sell. I admire the guys that are doing their
1: podcasts and supporting something else, and it's a supporting vehicle for the something else, because that seems like it'd be so easy to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everything looks greener, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it can be. I, I mean, I have one podcast that's somewhat that model, and it, it's easier, except that, just like you were saying before, you have to be consistent. You have to be in, your, in their ears talking about that something else all the time so that people are, are responding. There's
1: another lesson. Say this at every keynote speech I give at every podcasting conference. First, they come for the content, stay for the host, and you've got to be consistent. You know, sponsors are getting smart now. They'll look at whether you've been consistent. So if you tell them, hey, I do a twice a month show, and they look back and you've missed episodes, they're not going to advertise with you because what guarantee do they have that you're not going to miss episodes in the future when they're paying you to do them, right? When new shows want to come on the network, I look at consistency. If they're not consistent, then I say, go away get consistent for six months, and then we'll bring on the network. If they haven't been consistent, they're not going to be consistent and they're going to go away. Because what happens is you do your weekly show that then becomes twice a month and then becomes once a month and then becomes you're not doing it anymore. And 90% of podcasts out there, that's their trajectory. So you have to be consistent. That's the key to building an audience. I talked about this in my first keynote speech years ago. You have a contract with your audience. The contract said you're going to be there weekly or twice a month, whatever it is. They allow enough time to listen to your show on that day because they know when it comes out. So you're breaking your contract with that listener because their morning drive that day was going to be your show and you weren't there. And now all of a sudden, you've disappointed your listener. They may listen the next time. They may not. They may just give you up because now in that hour, they were going to listen to you. They picked another podcast and they're listening to that podcast. They're going to listen to something. Now, all of a sudden, Mm. you're not front of mind. And a month later, you maybe put out an episode. Maybe they listen. Maybe they don't. That consistency is so important to build a listener's trust that you're going to be there for them, even though they're not paying you a dime. They are giving you their time. Think about Mm -hmm. the way you listen. I listen to certain shows at a certain time every week. Dave Jackson School of Podcasting. It's been a joke at every podcasting conference. that You've heard it. I listen to him in the shower on Monday mornings. And he jokes on his show that if he gets it out late, um, my shower is going to be ruined because I listen to him (laughs) in the shower on Monday. I have a waterproof speaker and Dave's in the shower with me on Monday morning. He hates when I say that in front of a thousand people. But I do. But I know that's when I plan to listen to Dave. And guess what? If I don't listen to Dave in the shower and he's never late, but if I don't listen to the shower Monday morning, I may not get to him till Friday because that's the time yeah. I had allotted in my mind.
0: Yeah. And you're doing Dave a favor by letting him know that he's in the shower with you because now he's got that. Psychological oh, I think that terrorizes him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he'll thank you later. Well, Glenn, this has been delightful and you've been very generous in sharing your your lessons and your enthusiasm for what it is that you do. And I appreciate your focus on sales because so many podcasters don't think of sponsorships as a sales thing, but it really is. Oh, it's all it is. It's
1: sales. It's what you're doing. You're selling ads and then you're trying to keep them. So you're selling and maintaining. Ultimately, that's your job. We've tried to hire salespeople along the way and it's never worked. What it came back to is They mostly wanted to talk to me. They weren't very good or whatever. So what we decided was, I got to take a lot of things off my plate and be the salesperson, you know, in my case. Now, you may get lucky and hire a salesperson. That's terrific. And, you know, if, if you're getting tens of thousands of downloads and you can do the marketing company route where they're paying you CPM and all of that, then great, more power to you. I wish I was at that point, but we don't have those kind of numbers in our little world. So we sell flat rate sponsorships because if we were doing CPM, we would be broke. So, you know, I have some shows that get 500 downloads and I have some shows that get 10,000, you know, but it's not enough for the big, big players, the marketing ad agencies and things like that. And we'll never be enough for them. We're just not going to be not in our niche.
0: Yeah. And that totally makes sense. Well, Glenn, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise and your consistency. After all these years, I still like talking about podcasting. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Imagine that. (laughs) And you know what? The next 12 are going to be a hell of a lot more exciting than the last 12. It's going to take us places oh, yeah. we never dreamed of.
0: Oh, yeah. I've been waiting for the day that Google creates a native app for podcasting because when Androids have that, just like Apple, that's the next big explosion. They kind of do now, but people don't know how to use it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's not obvious. It's that not obvious. It's there no. They just, yeah. Once it shows up on that home screen when you turn on your new phone. and it says
1: podcast app. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're so absolutely glad. right. Glenn, my best to you, man.
1: Thank you, again. Hello?
0: Well, that conversation was just full of great insight, don't you think? Glenn has just a wealth of experience with those sponsorship relationships. And did you hear him talking about how it's a relationship? You want to make sure that you're keeping that sponsor in the know. You're including them in your episodes. You're doing everything you can to make it a win-win situation for them and for you. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Go out and make it a podcast day. This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track, where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at PodcastFastTrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day.